There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Forever Mighty Podcast. It's Pat and Eddie on the mics today. Dude. You got your Canadian internet working? I think we're late. <laughs> okay, we're always late, so don't act like we're never on time. <laughs> we're always on time. We're always on time. We're always late. But yeah, internet, internet's hopefully working last time. And anybody who has been on the stream for the last two shows, um, last the first one with Jay and then now the last show with you, we've had issues with the stream freezing midway through. So we're hoping that those are resolved now. And, uh, and let it can, be known you were blaming me and Jason each time. Whoa, in reality, I, it was your ass and your computer having problems. I said it might be you guys. <laughs> Brett, be right back. Got to fix something. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, man, the, I, I, I want to say this went as we expected at these last two games. But yeah, we I think I predicted kind of, a big win in Chicago and that didn't really work. Yeah, we we knew Dallas was going to be a tough game, and to the, to their credit, they actually the Ducks actually played pretty well in that game. When it comes to, you know, I mean, if you go look at their shot attempts in that game, they they kind of held possession there. But the problem, like the problem it's been all season, is the Ducks just can't generate enough high danger, high quality scoring opportunities in any of their games that they're playing in. You look at the fact that they dominated fifty nine point five five Corsi four percentage in this game, which is I don't I don't think it's high for the Ducks, but at least a high over the last five or six games for them. 
the problem becomes when you dig into the other parts of this game and look at the quality chances they had. And you know, despite leading that much in shot attempts, they were still trailing in expected goals. They were still trailing in high danger chances for. They were trailing in just regular scoring chances for at five on five. It just was a game on paper that looks like the Ducks should have got more out of it. But when you dig deeper into it, they're just not generating enough quality chances still. No, and especially off the rush, right? You see a few here and there, but they just don't look they just don't look dangerous, you know? They could win the Corsi battle all day long, and it's like you and I talked about this pre-show. We love these fancy quote-unquote stats or analytics stats, whatever you want to talk about them, but uh, it, I mean, it's clearly apparent with the eye test. The Ducks just don't look dangerous as a team. I mean, in yeah. moments, sure, but as a, I mean, overall, not a very dangerous squad on the ice night in, night out. Yeah, it goes to show that you just can't use one, right? I right. mean, we've you know, we've been kind of saying that for a while, and I think that's been the the sentiment from a lot of people who, who especially people who use these stats on a regular basis, is you can't just use Corsi four and, and say the Ducks played a good game. They were better, and and of course, controlling shot attempts and con- uh, leads to you know controlling possession, and and it's just shows they had a better game and they had control of the game five on five. But when you're not using those chances to your advantage, that's where the problem becomes. So when, like we said, when you, you look at the fact that they were still outchanced in high danger chances for 11 to six across the entire game at five on five and expected goals were 1.86 to 1.83 for Dallas. Like clearly there, there's a disconnect there between the, the amount of zone time you're getting to the quality chances that you're putting on the board. Yeah. No, man. And, and you know what this came down to, too? You could you could compete at 5-on-5, five five, but, I mean, this game was won on special teams. Two power play goals from the Dallas Stars and an empty nutter. And the Ducks went 0-2 yeah. on the power play. That If you can't get it done 5-on-5, five five, you got to make good on your chances. And the Ducks' power play, although it had been better as of late, hasn't really been good all season. So there's another issue with the Ducks game we, we can't seem to stop talking about over the past couple of seasons. Yeah, but one thing, I guess one positive you can draw from this game is how dominant that Henry Getzlaff and, and Sprong, Sprong line was in, in all facets, facets of the game. Uh, I mean, their Corsi 4 percentage is, is ridiculously high. I don't think I've ever seen, at least this season, probably the last couple seasons, a, a oh. Ducks line have this total at the end of the game. It was at 95.83%. I think That's they only stupid. had one shot attempt against while on the ice, so they were just completely controlling play. But the problem is, again, what, what it comes down to is they, they didn't put pucks in the back of the net. So you, you could look at that and say, wow, they had an amazing game uh, and they played great and they controlled shot attempts and, and they even controlled you know, scoring chances for. I think they were the only Ducks line who did that while they're on the ice. But the ultimate issue is they, they didn't put the puck in the back of the net. And, and that's the problem. I mean, we, we love to see Daniel Sprong jump up on that top line and play well with Ryan Getzlaff. And, and of course, that Henry experiment on the wing ha- has kind of worked so far, at least in, in terms of how they've looked and how they've played together. But ultimately, you want to see a goal in a game this dominant from that line you you would like to see even if even in a losing effort you want to see some sort of end product to that play and and we didn't see it no and and, you know i mean it's not like dallas really took it to the ducks five on five either like we just said it came down to the special teams and uh i guess it's it wouldn't be that big of a deal Like, like a loss like this doesn't necessarily bother me if the Ducks were winning outside of this game, right? Like, if this was just a one-off game, you're like, man, they just couldn't get it done five-on-five. Five. But this has really been the storyline this season, hasn't it? Like, the kids aren't getting it done. The the veterans are getting it done sometimes. 
but not enough. We're got we're not getting the same kind of goaltending we got last year. So it's and I'm not faulting the goaltenders, by the way. Um, the, the, you know, net front presence has been soft, which we'll get to with the Chicago loss. But uh, if this game was a one off, I wasn't I wouldn't be upset about it. But I mean, they're just yeah. not scoring at all this season, Ed, and that's just been a consistent problem. Uh, yeah, that, that's the big problem, and and that was the big what if going into this season, right? Yeah. Is we. We were hoping that guys who had bad years last year would take a step forward. And for the most part, that's happened. Ra- Raquel's looked a lot better than last year. Silverberg's taken a big step forward. Getzloff has looked better. Uh, Adam Henrique has looked better. Like all, and Cam Fowler, like all these guys who had down years last year have looked better. And those are the guys who should be producing, right? So in that sense, it's looked good. But the big what if going into this season was the kids and what type of production the Ducks could get from guys like Max Jones and Sam Steele, Troy Terry, Andre Kasha to some extent as well. And that's where the letdown has come. And, and that's why you see that the Ducks aren't just getting – they just don't have enough depth when it comes to goal scoring in their lineup. They don't have enough talent or at least NHL-ready talent to make a difference to this offense. And that that's what we've seen is they can dominate games at 5-on-5 five five at times – but they just don't make enough of their opportunities. And and that's just the personnel they have with this team. And that's just, you know, what comes with having so many young players and, and so many guys who are really playing their first NHL season, a full 82 game season. You're going to have stuff like this. You're going to have moments like this and you're going to have a season like this where they, they just can't find a way to put the puck in the back of the net on a consistent basis. Yeah, it's, it's exactly what we hope wasn't going to happen this year, especially with the kids part of that, man. It's, um, I think it was Shane in our chat last year. He said I think the nightmare scenario would be that these next round of kids coming up pan out to not be, uh, you know, top six forwards. It's a scary thought. Yeah, which yeah, we can't I mean, judge I right now. There that's yet. a scary yeah. thought. Yeah, I'm yeah, not saying it, that's going to happen, but that's, it, that's it something is. no one wants to think about. <laughs> yeah, and, and when you have people at the beginning of the season who. You know, thought any one of these four guys could put up twenty goal seasons this year, and and it looks like none of them are going to come close at all to hitting maybe even fifteen. It's a letdown. It, maybe it's too high expectations from us to put on some of these guys, especially when we'd only seen such a small sample size from them. But it it is you know a worry. It is a concern, and you know it definitely takes guys longer than one and a half season to kind of fully get adjusted to the NHL and and, and play at a level that you could expect from them later on. But there is concern there that this might not pan out. I mean, none of these guys, even coming into this year or coming into last year, were blue-chip prospects around the NHL. They were considered, you know, top 50, top 60-type talents, guys like Sam Steele and Troy Terry, based on what they did either in junior or in the NCAA or wherever they were playing. But none of them were guys that right out the right out the gate you expected to be big contributors to anybody's lineup. So it it's a bit early to kind of say, uh, it, you know, they're they're never going to get to that point. But it it is concerning when the Ducks don't really have anybody to to kind of come up behind them right now, other than Trevor Zegers, who is a lock for the top six. Right. No, you're right about that. Um... Looking at what they've done through, we've we talked about it recently. Just even like as a half season, they're not. It's not awful, right? I mean, for for young kids to be coming up into the into the season like this, you don't. I mean, we expected one guy maybe hit twenty or get close, but looking overall yeah. as a rookie perspective on these guys, and you know they've been in and out of the lineup, up and down from San Diego. Um, I'm not going to say they're at a point we should worry either yet, but I think the they need to find some way to to get contributors this season. Or we can talk about this here towards the end of the show, but um, 
I mean, we joked about it last year about the tank, but I mean, I mean, I mean, come on, it's it's about yeah. that time. <laughs> it's getting there. I mean, right now they have third best odds of the first overall pick after these couple of losses. And the the big the big one was the loss to Chicago. Uh, and the points that Chicago gains on them in the standings, they were you know, the Ducks were fighting it out with Chicago and LA and San Jose for that bottom spot in the Western Conference. And uh, these two losses have kind of solidified them down there. New Jersey's been winning games, so they've moved in front. So right now, it's it's only uh, I think Detroit and I believe LA because of, you know points percentage wise, it's only Detroit and LA who are worse than the Ducks right now. Even Ottawa. And uh, in New Jersey, have the edge on them at this point. So it, it is tough. It's a tough go, but there's that light at the end of the tunnel, right? That you could potentially almost be a lock for a top five pick if you get into that, you know, number one pick or, or number two pick territory. I don't think anybody uh, is going to tank hard enough to catch to catch Detroit. But uh, you're in the discussion there to finish, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth, last, and and have good odds at the uh, the first overall pick. And and you know, to to be completely honest, that's what the Ducks need right now, right? Is they need this injection of for sure talent because we don't know exactly what guys like Comtois and and Steele and and Troy Terry are, are going to turn out to be at this point. No, you're right. Um, speaking of of that Chicago loss, though, let's move on to that game. Uh, the past two games at Manson Lindholm. Uh, underlying numbers say they're doing well. I, I guess when you look at the eye test, though, as we've talked about on the show already, is I mean that net front presence has got to get better. It's got to get better. Yep. A lot of rebounds in front of Gibby these, that uh, these guys have had all day to put in. I mean, yeah, Gibby, Gibby gave up probably a soft one to Taves right to open the scoring for Chicago. Uh, that ended up tying the game, making it one-one after after Max Jones got on the board. Got to get that. Got to tighten that five hole up there. But uh, lots of room for these guys in front of John Gibson lately. I'm not really liking that uh, that softness in front of the net. You don't have to be this big hulking guy to tie a guy up either. So I'm not really sure what the hell's going on with the Ducks defense. Yeah, it's been the I guess the second most glaring issue we've seen with the Ducks defense, other than the obvious turnovers we've seen since the Christmas break. I mean, those first three or four games back from Christmas, especially the two against Vegas, uh, there was some awful turnovers. There was some bad net front presence as well, but the turnovers were kind of overshadowing that. Mm-hmm. And the last two games, uh, I think, is where that that softness in front of the net uh, it's kind of come to the forefront here, especially in the game against Chicago. I mean, Dominic Kubelik just lived around the front of the net in that game, and that's where he got both of his goals. Just really wasn't picked up on the first one. And and I guess you could say, you know, a lot of people are looking at either Jonathan Taves or, or Patrick Kane on that line. So you've got a guy like Kubelik who can kind of just disappear and find that open ice. That happens, but you can't have it happen twice in the game. You know, after he scores the first one, you kind of got to give the guy some credit. Came into that game. He'd scored in three straight games. Like you gotta, you gotta give the guy some credit there, and, and at least keep an eye on him. And the Ducks kept, fell asleep twice, and, and he made them pay. And and it's it's not like it was just this game. It's not like it was a one-off. We we've seen this, you know, pretty much all season. Especially the the second half of the first half of the season has been, you know, where where that's kind of come to the forefront. So it's tough. Uh, I mean, these are especially Lindholm and Manson. Like this is an area where they made their bread and butter, right? Just being able to close off these, these situations in front of the net, make the goaltenders feel comfortable, and then get that clean exit out of the zone. And that, that's something we really haven't seen, at least for the last two seasons. No, and it's unfortunate, too, because it, it looks like, well, like I think the under, oh my gosh, I'm like tongue tighter. the underlying numbers for those two guys the last two games, I mean, they're controlling 65% five-on-five of, uh, of the scoring chances. When they're on the ice, that's great news for the Ducks when you're talking about keeping the puck out of your own end, right? I mean, 
But then you look at the high danger chances, those are much closer, 11-7 to 7 in favor of the Ducks. Just the last two games, super, super small sample size. But on those numbers right there, looking at that at a glance, you'd be like, damn, they're playing pretty well, right? They're like, this looks good. And then you look at the goals that are going in against them, and you're like, why aren't you guys boxing these guys out in front of the net? It's just it's very troubling, um, especially from our top two guys. And I guess it's kind of go to, gone down the lineup. We saw Holzer kind of look a little shaky um, in the game against Dallas. I didn't think he looked great against Dallas at all, did you? No, no. And I mean, I think that not just on defense, but up front, the, the Ducks have been a little bit disorganized over the last 10 games or so here. Uh, the, that's why we've been kind of seeing some of these errors and some of these turnovers. But you, you got to give credit where credit's due. I, I think Lindholm and Manson, since Manson coming back from injury, have actually been pretty decent. They've come back a pair, bit. Yeah, and you pair that with the fact that Fowler and Goodbranson have been playing like a top pairing for this team for a while now. The Ducks do have two solid pairings. It seems like they can throw over the boards, which is something we haven't really been able to say all season. So to have that reliability back there, I think is comfortable. And, and like, yeah, the, the, the scoreline doesn't look great. They lost three nothing, four two, but these were close games. Like that's a two nothing game yep. against Dallas with an empty netter. The Ducks just didn't generate enough chances. So in that game, it really comes down to special teams, like you said, and the fact that the Ducks just can't score any goals and they're, they're kind of have that inept scoring ability this year. And this game against Chicago was close too. You know, yeah, maybe well, if a, not for a, a great goal. stop by Leonard. I mean, yeah. Branson it's nearly, tie game. I mean, has a game, uh, you know, game saving goal right there. Right, he's able. Yeah, to b- the game. bad game here or a bad goal there by Taves and and again, you know, game saving save by uh, by Robin Lehner on Eric Branson and and you know the Ducks are back in it at that point and and then of of course the, the late goal by Oli Matter. That's when you you really can't fault anybody for. Gibby's screen in front and, and ends up just going right by him. But they're close games, and, and the Ducks are playing better. I think just the issue that we knew was going to ail them for most of the year uh, has been the issue in these last two games, and that's goal scoring. They, they just can't find any reliable goal scoring or a reliable way to generate any chances to at least get close to getting on the board. Like that, That's that been the problem. I think that's going to continue to be the problem for them this year. But, I mean, you know, a bright spot would be having two reliable defense pairings for the rest of the year. Yep. Like if you if if they if Lindholm and Manson and Fowler and Goodbranson continue to play well for the rest of the year, and even if Goodbranson gets dealt, at least up until that point, that's that that's a win, I think, for the Ducks. To to avoid any injuries and to have those two playing well and to have two solid pairings because it's something you haven't had all year. And at least you know goal scoring is going to be an issue. Uh, at least uh, you know shore up an area that we expected to be somewhat strong this year. Yeah, and it's it's kind of looking at this team as a whole, Ed, and, and I know we've talked about it uh, before, but there's no there's no superstar on this team. There's no elite level score or elite level. They're talking top tier, top top five defenseman or top five four, top. You know what I mean? Even top eight, top ten. We don't have those guys on this team, so it's it's hard to defeat those teams that do have those those uh, those players, those types of players. Wouldn't you agree? Like the Ducks are missing that in, that key ingredient here. Like just a reliable goal scorer, a reliable goal scorer, or yeah, like that, that top end upper echelon defenseman. Like those are really hard to get, yeah. and the Ducks haven't had one of those in a long time. I mean, that was Getz and Pears for a long time, and you know, obviously Pears no longer on the team, and then you know, Getz is on uh, on the back on the back nine of his career for sure. Um, this transition for teams, right? I mean, we, we see. Let's look at the Kings right now. You you yeah. could argue they don't have that either. Kopitar and Doughty are still great players, but they're on the downturn of their career. And then the, the Kings just have no depth to back that up, and their goaltending has has fallen off the wagon. Not at, in, in the same sense as the Ducks. I think the Ducks still have great goaltending. It's just been a down year. 
But it, every team goes through this. Where the the Ducks can we can we good. take a moment and laugh at the Sharks though? Because they have two uh, yeah. really recent, <laughs> really recent the Norris Trophy winners. Yeah. And <laughs> see you later. It's been it's been pure goaltending for, for the uh, for the Sharks man. this year. <laughs> um, but I mean, like, let's not forget the Ducks were great for a decade. And they had the, their guys. They had the elite center and Ryan Getzlaff in his prime. They had the thirty to fifty goal score and Corey Perry. You know, way back when we go a little bit further back, they had the you know the elite defenseman and Scotty Niedermeyer. They had their guys, and then obviously John Gibson and, and Freddie Anderson and Jonas Hiller. You could recycle through three goaltenders who are fairly capable. Like the, the Ducks have had some good times, and you're going to get to that point again where you get to the end of that life cycle, and you got to restock the cupboards and hope you can get those guys again. I mean, don't forget the the Ducks hit on Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff with late first round picks. Yep, like that that doesn't happen all the time. And maybe the greatest uh, draft of like the, you know ever. <laughs> yeah, that that rarely, rarely happens to hit on the players, the quality of, of Getzlaff and Perry in the same draft and, and have your two franchise players come out of it. So it, it was inevitable that the Ducks were going to need a couple of these years to get those types of players again. You just don't find those types of players that often now in, in the bottom half of the first round or even any, anywhere further from than that. You need a couple top 10 picks. And, and the Ducks got one last year and hopefully got that dynamic forward and Trevor Zegras and, and whether they use their top 5 to 10 pick this year to go out and get another dynam- dynamic forward or take one of the defensemen at the top of the draft. You, you'll hopefully add to that and uh, move move closer to, to competing again. I mean, that's the only way you get these pieces. It's either trading off some assets you have now and maybe getting getting lucky to a team's willing to give one up, or you get it through the draft. How about that bang-bang passing play, though, to get Ricard Raquel his goal last night by Isaac Lundestrom? What a heads-up play, huh? They have some some of this in them. There's there's occasionally some sometimes where the skill shows through. I mean, there are some talented players on this team. Like we said, the consistency is just the problem. But every now and then we we get these types of plays, especially when you've got you know Lundstrom can flash the skill every now and then. And of course, Ricard Raquel is probably one of the most skilled players on this team. So you throw a line like that out there. Uh, eventually you're going to get a play like this. It is nice to see him get going again, too, because hopefully he can finish the season strong, uh, finish with at least 20-plus goals this year, uh, and hopefully set himself up for a good year next year because the Ducks need him. If if he's going to stick around, they need him to be a a 20, hopefully 30-goal scorer for the next few years. No, for sure. And then the other great news in the last two games is Sprong. Daniel Sprong's been just a man on a mission to get the puck on net. He's got some really good numbers, man. Really, really good. He numbers. does. Just unfortunate, he's got no points because ultimately, that's what I think the coaching staff and uh, and everybody, you know, a lot of fans are going to look at and, and say, "Well, this is a guy we brought up for scoring. He's got no points in the last two games. What's going on?" But you look at how dominant, he, not just that line was, but he was in that Dallas game to not get a goal in that game is criminal. I mean, he had 24 shot attempts, four, three against while on the ice. He had 13 scoring chances, two high danger chances, and five individual shot attempts. He only played 13 minutes and 40 seconds of ice time. He got benched for the last five minutes of the game. Very strange. <laughs> Which, uh, and it's not like, you know, the issue with Sprong has been for a while uh, defensively, right? But I think he's actually looked okay. Like, he hasn't made any errors. The forechecking has been a lot better for Daniel Sprong. He seems a lot more engaged when it comes to, to forechecking and at least being defensively responsible in his own end. So I think it was a, a bit harsh to bench him for the last five minutes of that game, especially since that was the Ducks' best line for the entirety of that game. And then it's not like he followed that up with a similar performance against Chicago, but he still played well, still led 
the way in shot attempts, still won the the scoring chances, high danger chances battle right, individually, and and played exactly thirteen forty again in, in the game against Chicago. So he had a decent game in both of them. It's just I think the the, the problem is going to become is if he, the, he doesn't put up the goals or doesn't put up the points, he might find himself back in San Diego despite playing well. Yeah, and he probably will. Honestly, he's getting the benefit of the injuries on this team. Uh, let's not forget to talk about Max Jones. Uh, apparently, took a puck off the hand, right, and he didn't return. Yeah. So, just upper body injury for what we know right now. Could be day to day. Could be back on uh, tomorrow against St. Louis. Could be out for a while. No update yet. Hopefully, I don't think the Ducks practice today. I think they have to travel to St. Louis. So we probably won't know anything until Monday morning. Yeah, so that's that happened. The Ducks recalled Chase DeLeo, but he didn't play. So I guess he was just, just precaution, the, I just think. precautionary for sure. Um, before we get to the the interesting tweet by Elliot Friedman about the Ducks and their cap space, I, I want to talk to you about Jacob Silverberg skipping the All-Star game and then the NHL not <laughs> allowing or not picking or whatever the hell happened. There has to be something here for the Ducks not to be at the All-Star game. Are they the only team without a representative? They are, they are. So, so the way this worked out is, we we know every year guys opt out or guys get injured or magically, you know, there's injuries that come up that they can't go. You know, Ovechkin decided just not to go. He'll deal with the suspension. Mark Andre Fleury, John Daly, or not John Daly, Bill yeah. Daly, <laughs> Bill Daly, yeah. And then you know, Mark Andre Fleury is what started things off for this uh, Pacific Division All Star team. Uh, he decided he didn't want to go, so he got. And, and at that point, that's a hard one if you're the NHL, right? You know. Fleury was the Vegas was Vegas's only guy going. You can't replace Fleury with another Vegas player because you need a goaltender. You can, you need two mm. guys going. You can't put Malcolm Subban at the All Star game because it doesn't make sense. You know, a guy like Jacob Jacob Markstrom deserves to go over Malcolm Subban, so they had to make a goaltender choice, and it's Markstrom who replaces Fleury. So at one point, it was Vegas who had nobody going, and. That didn't seem like too much of an issue because the, the consensus was that Pacioretty would have a pretty good shot at winning last man in and the NHL would get bailed out and they, they wouldn't have to worry about it. But, of course, it ends up coming out that Jakob Silverberg is expecting their – him and his wife are expecting their second child and uh, he'd rather be at home, which makes complete sense and, and doesn't want to go to the All-Star game because of that. And then the, the NHL decides to, instead of sending another duck, Getzlaff or, or Cam Fowler, they, they decide to replace Silverberg with Max Pacioretty, which right when that happened, you knew there was going to be issues because there was no way in hell Ryan Getzlaff was winning the last man in competition, especially with Pacioretty out of it. And, and you know, the favorite other than Pacioretty was Quinn Hughes, who, who's the guy who ended up getting it. Uh, and now the NHL screwed. I mean, now you, you can't kick a guy out. And I think Vancouver has three guys going now because of this. They've got Markstrom, Hughes, and Patterson, which I'm sure they all deserve to go over I mean, against Lapinaller. Maybe. Maybe Markstrom does. What's his numbers? I'll have to look that up. I was just wondering about that. <laughs> but just, I mean, you have to have two goalies. That's where they, you kind of get screwed there because you, you, don't, you can't really make a case, I think, for John Gibson over Jakob Markstrom at this point. I, I think you, maybe you could, but the numbers really show that Markstrom was probably the, the next best guy to go when it comes to goaltenders because Kemper's hurt. That's insane. And, a nine fourteen goaltender is going to the All Star game. What NHL yeah. are we living in nowadays? Well, and, and the thing is, like, <laughs> I, I put I put this out there on Twitter on, on our Twitter, saying like, how can the NHL do this? Like, if their whole thing is promoted that every team gets a guy in, like, how can they just not send a player from a team and? And and I didn't get flamed by people saying like, hey, like, 
the all-star game's stupid anyway like why does it matter or did the players going to get more rest or you know a ducks player probably wouldn't go anyway if if it was just best on best which i agree with kind of all of those things yes the all-star game's stupid if it was best on best like it should be the the ducks should not really have a player going if you're taking the best players from the pacific division this year right but that the problem is it's it's not that the NHL decided to do it this dumb way where they, they want one player at least from each team, and they can't even get that right. Where because the players opting out in injuries, they completely fuck up, and the Ducks have they're the only team with no representative going, and, and there's nothing they can do about it. They can't just add an extra player to the team. They can't boot anybody off. So unless somebody drops out, there there's no way here to get a, a Ducks player into this game, which which just makes it even more of a joke than it already is. You know, I have a lot to say about the All-Star game in general and, and the players and all that, which I think I kind of want to say for one of our Patreon shows, unfortunately, because it's a rather long <laughs> rant, and I don't want to have a long All-Star rant on this show. But uh, what I will say is I don't think the players give two shits about missing the All-Star game on this Ducks team. I think no. part of it was is that they were like, we don't want to go. None of us want to go. None of us feel like we deserve to be there. I, I can't imagine... Anyone in that locker room was like, oh, Sylph's not going? I want to go. Let me go, coach. This is a great... I, I can't wait to go. Go tell Bobby I want to be there. I, I don't think anyone would, wants to travel to St. Louis. It's another part of it, too. That's not a... I mean, not a fun city like L.A. or Vegas or, you know, a city that has a lot of stuff to do. These guys would rather go somewhere yeah. else or be at home or recuperate from an injury, all that kind of stuff. I just... I can't imagine this was just an NHL decision. This also came from the Ducks, honestly. Maybe. It it, I mean, it could. I, the, the, I was Along those lines, I was kind of thinking, like, if the NHL reached out to Getzlaff and Fowler and said, hey, you guys want to go, and maybe both of them just said no. I'm like, pretty sure they probably asked a very if real possibility. wanted to go, and Giddy said no. Like, they needed another goaltender at that point. There's a real possibility that all three of them were asked, and they all said no. Uh, I don't think that would ever get out. I would rather it get out. Like, but it's not going it, it's to just, because it would make, make the NHL look bad. Not, and their players don't even want to play. In, in, but this, in this doesn't. It's not game. like this doesn't make them look bad. I mean, I get that would make them feel worse that three guys said they don't want to go. But now you've, you've put yourself in a position where one team isn't going. And people are saying like, oh, well, technically Silverberg's still considered an all-star, so it's okay. No. No. It it. it the fact is you're supposed to have one team represented or one player from each team represented at this dumb game. And the NHL just says it's okay that they're not going to have one of the teams show up, which is, is dumb. Like if, if that doesn't warrant a revamp of the format or changing something, then, then nothing will. Apparently because they're doing something internationally for next season. I've heard that too. That uh, an all-star year, game overseas. Game. No, not, I don't know about that. Here. I don't know about that, or the <laughs> or the format will be something to do with international to maybe give these guys more of a sense of pride. You know, you're playing for whatever yeah, international flag they're going to put on the jersey to to kind of replace the Olympics for the NHL. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> man. I, I think that. I mean. It sucks. I don't want to get into a long rant about this because I could literally talk about this for 30 minutes. Just like if you wanted to go head-to-head with me against the the Olympic talk, which you and I have done in the past and are very, very far apart on on our uh, <laughs> on our, our views and perceptions of the Olympics belonging uh, professionals. So we could definitely launch into those topics because those are going to be hot topics soon anyway because, you know, this NHL, you know, uh, league can't even figure out a, um, you know, it's, too, it's, it's, 
it's too late for us to plan a World Cup of hockey. It's like, what are you talking yeah. about? And then these All Star games, they can't figure it out. And then the Olympics, they can't figure it out. Like this league, yeah, is this so is crazy, just man. it's such a big embarrassment. I I feel personally for the league to 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 stand by this format where you have, you know, you have to pick one from each team, and they still usually can't get that right. And then you've got the last man in vote where you've got some great players, and, and there's just some really good players who are missing out on it already. But to completely stand by this and, and then to somehow mess it up so bad that one team just doesn't have a guy going. Like, I get they were kind of odd circumstances. You can't prepare for everything. I mean, they set it up and they had one from each team going. And then the goaltender drops out. And that's the big, I think, curveball for the league right there is the goaltender drops out. You have to replace him with a goaltender. You can't send Vegas' backup. So then immediately right there, you, you've kind of put yourself in a tough position by having Vegas have nobody for one period of time. But then if, if you know, you're in that sucks. same boat where you could be like, ah, you know what? I can just rig the vote and patch ready can go and then we're fine. And then the problem becomes that the only uh, one of the only other teams to have only one guy going, his their guy drops out. And then I think you could have still redeemed yourself at that point if you just replace Silverberg with Fowler or Getzlaff. And then have Patch Ready win the vote. I don't think it. And again, I don't. I don't want to say they rig it. I don't think they do. But you could have saved yourself there if you, if you at least put your hands in it or, or, or have Patch Ready win that, and then you're fine. Then there's no issue here. You've got Getzlaff or Fowler going, and then you've got Patch Ready going for the, the Vegas Golden Knights, and you're fine. And nobody questions it because Patch Ready likely could have won the vote probably should have been the guy going the only guy going from that last man in vote and you're fine and then every team has a guy but you put yourself in a tough position by replacing Silverberg with Pacioretty knowing Getzlaff was not going to win that vote and then now you have nobody going from this team and, and like you said they, they very well could have asked uh, you know Getzlaff and Fowler and Gibby and said hey do you guys want to go and none of them wanted to go and then there's really nobody else you can pick from this team but uh, I, I don't know if that I, – I really don't think all three of them would have said no. And I really don't think the NHL actually asked them. I mean, possibly. I mean, uh, Shane in chat says, all that being said, if Anaheim gets an all-star game, will we all go? Absolutely, I would go. I went to the one in L.A. a few years back, had a great time. Uh, if it's here, because like, the game going. sucks. Just because the game sucks doesn't mean like the atmosphere around it isn't fun. It's like, they, still they fun, man. Stuff, I'm not. Fun. I'm not even gonna mess around here. The All Star game was fun. I mean, it's not. I would go. I just wouldn't. I just don't watch sense. them on TV. It's just fun, dude. The three on three format's fun no matter what. And then the one that we went to had like a coach's challenge for offsides with Ryan when Ryan Kessler scored and they ended up pulling the goal back and the West lost in the final. It was fun. And then the the skills competition was, of course, my favorite part of it. That was my favorite part of it growing up. So being able to go to LA and, and and you know experience that was awesome. Also, with that being said, as someone who's been to an All Star game, I'm not sure if any of you any of you listening have gone. Don't buy your tickets so far in advance. I was an idiot, had no clue that they were going to drop like significantly the week of. I paid yep. literally double the cost. Instead of three hundred dollars the week, and was I had, it like, box Susan. office drop too? Box office prices dropped, or just yeah? Like, it was online? like third party, third party. So, third party, dude, yep. it was bad. It went from like I think I spent seven hundred dollars on All Star Weekend and on tickets, thinking that was like oh three hundred bucks a day makes sense. That's what most most of those prices were. Weekend of like a hundred and twenty dollars a day. Yeah, yeah, because they're just, <laughs> just trying to offload them, right? Just like crushed. Yeah, yeah. I had a great one, man. Um, so right. would definitely recommend that. Let's get to the interesting news that was put out by Elliot Friedman um, 
last night. Can we talk a little bit yep. about that? Uh, Sportsnet has this like headline segment where they get uh, Friedman and a few other guys. I think uh, I'm trying to remember who who who's on that uh, panel. Chris now. Johnston too was on there. Yeah, that's who it was. I was going to say Frank Cervelli, but he's TSN. But yeah, yeah. Chris Johnston was on there, and uh, I think Nick Caprios is on there. A few other guys, but anyway, the big guy that that everybody's waiting to hear stuff from is is Elliot Friedman on there anyway, and uh, he talked a bit about how the Sharks are are you know in an interesting position, and they might be looking to sell off some assets or or, or potentially be buyers in some sense at the deadline. And then he talked about the Ducks, and, and you know something we've heard from the Ducks all year is they could, you know, sell some of these guys on, on a, you know, close to expiring contracts or guys who are playing well. They could Branson, but brought up a new perspective to the way the Ducks could be approaching the offseason. And apparently, they've let the league know that they're willing to use their cap space and, in particular, their LTIR room to help other teams and get young assets in return. Well, whether that actually develops or not I, you know remains to be seen but it's a smart move by the ducks and one we haven't seen i guess you know likely we haven't seen it because they've never been in this position before but now that you know 100% that Kessler and Eves are not coming off the IR you, you the ducks have not used that LTIR space all all, all year they have about 10 million dollars to use in that uh-huh. LTIR space and they i think they have still about 2 million dollars of working cap space as is right now so they've got about ten to twelve million dollars, which is enticing for a lot of teams. Teams looking to you know maybe dump cap and and go after, uh, you know another player at the deadline, something like that. You know teams like at the top of the of the payroll right now in Toronto or Arizona that could be looking to to move off some dead weight to go out and, and get another piece at the deadline and, and fuel their role. Toronto seems like a, a a smart fit, an easy fit. You know they've they've made trades with the Ducks in the past and. And the Leafs need to add something at the deadline, and, and moving out some dead cap could be the way they go. But it's an interesting move by Bob Murray, and, and I'm kind of intrigued by it. I'm, I'm interested to see how it works because uh, I think as Shane brought up to us on Twitter uh, when uh, on our post on this, he said, you know, Corey Perry's buyout goes up to $6 million next year. So, yeah, the yeah. Ducks have this, this cap space to work with, but Patrick Eves also becomes an unrestricted free agent after this year, I believe. I think he's off the books. And uh, you can't use that LTIR space if he's an unrestricted free agent. So you've only got what's left from Kessler. And that what's left from Kessler pretty much gets evaporated by that increase from Corey Perry. So unless you couple this type of move with trading Erica Branson at the deadline, trading Jakob Silverberg, moving some cap of your own, uh, it could be counterintuitive to even try it. So... What what kind of deals are you looking at for Manaheim? Like, what do you see them taking on? Like, how bad are we going to be talking about these types of contracts? <laughs> um, I mean, it would be just interesting. It, I don't want to take too much of the time just just researching this, but just kind of going over some of these teams that are that are competitive and, and near you know near the limit or over the limit uh, of cap space right now. But you, you know, you look at a team like the Leafs where. You know, none of the guys that they could be willing to move uh, would just be cap dumps. So you could think maybe Cody Cece, if you're the Leafs, becomes a cap dump. He makes 4.5 into the end of this year, uh, and that would free up some space for for them to do something with that. Um, whether it's uh, you know Casperi Kapanen, uh, but that would be more so a deal with the Ducks that would actually have to give up assets to get a guy like that. And you know that's that's just one team. I mean, but Boston's up there when it comes to cap space. Dallas is as well. Uh, St. Louis, like all these teams could could be teams that are looking to dump cap space. And it all depends on on some of these players they have on bad deals. And, and I'm sure you know, almost every team has at least one or two guys 
that they could they could dump to try and go out and get another guy. So it's an interesting proposal, I think, that the Ducks have, and we've seen it work in the past. You know, Arizona has has been the team that that's kind of utilized this to their success and and getting assets for taking on Datsuk's contract, getting assets for taking on Pronger, getting assets for taking on uh, Marion Hosa. So, how it, do you it feel is, about uh, that though? Looking at after, so the, right now we're in the we're in the 2019-2020 season. Uh, next year will be the end of the ELCs for Lundestrom, Jones, Steele, Comtois. They're all RFAs for 21-22 after next season. So taking on bad contracts, I don't know if you could have them be long-term, right? And sometimes those are long-term dumps that teams get rid of. Yeah. So I'm, I know there's smarter guys than us that are working, I think, uh, for Anaheim looking at their cap space and all that. I'm joking, by the way. Don't get offended, people. Um, as much as I love playing armchair GM, clearly there's a reason why I'm behind the mic. But looking at this and historically the way NHL GMs have been doing these types of things, some of them make really bad decisions. Uh, Bob's yeah. not really one to spend that kind of money. I'm very curious to see what they do here at the deadline because I think that's going to be a place where they're going to do it, don't you think? I, I would think so. Um, you have to remember, I mean, the, the idea is that Kessler's never coming back, right? So you've got a guaranteed six. I mean, maybe not. Just this season, yeah. he was cleared out. For sure, I, I I think most of us can can agree that he's likely done for his career. Maybe there's a chance, but at least for now, you've got basically a free six point eight eight million to work with when it comes to just loading up contracts for the next three years. So I think that's the limit the Ducks would take it. Uh, bringing a guy on would be a, a two to three year contract that they can kind of just bury, or, or, or you know, maybe it's a guy who, who is, yes, he's not playing that well and he's not as great as the contract says, but could at least be a decent piece for the Ducks in their lineup or something that they can throw over the boards. Uh, but I, I think any deal like this could be coupled with with moving some contracts of their own uh, in a different trade. I still think Eric Branson could be somebody that gets moved at the deadline, whether it's the Ducks retaining a bit of salary on, on that or not. Uh, he he could be a guy that gets moved out. That's four million off the books for next year, right there. And you know, Devin Shore comes off at two point three at the end of this year. Uh, Patrick Eves three million comes off the books at the end of this year. So there's some more cap space there. Uh, and then what do the Ducks even consider moving a player like Silverberg who makes over five? Um, you know, that's a that's another potential way to dump cap. But I, I could see this being you know something that goes hand in hand with with that type of move where the, where the ducks are willing to take on cap of their uh, of other teams but are kind of interested in in trying to move out with some cap of their own as well. I it's it's going to be interesting. I'm very interested to see how this is going to work. Um I'm trying to figure out like what would be beneficial for them to take on and like what type of young assets are we going to be getting? Are we going to be getting any anything high end, do you think? Or do you think that teams are too smart and just not going to, you know, we're going to get like middle tier prospects? I'd be interested to go back and and see what Arizona got in in some of these trades because uh I think that would get you a precedent for for what you know the teams are actually getting in return for this like I'm trying to look up the uh yeah so so here's here's one right here um the Coyotes used it to kind of move up in the draft so the Coyotes got the number 16 pick which they used to select Jacob Chikrin uh, with Datsuk, in exchange, they gave up the number twenty pick and a second round pick. So, not a lot, but they used it to move up four rounds in the in the first round. So you can put some some value on that. Uh, I forget what they got for the Marion Hosa 
contract trade because I, I feel like they got uh, a little bit for that as well. Um, well, didn't who, who did when Marlowe got traded? Um, didn't it, wasn't a first pick brought back also? Something like that, first round pick. I think so. Yeah, Marlowe was a first round pick, but Marlowe was was still and that flying. was Carolina. Carolina was able they got a first round pick out of Patrick Marlowe. That's that's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, late first round pick. Um, Why not? Marion, you got to take those all day. Marion Hosa was the Blackhawks sent Hosa, Jordan Osterley, and a third round pick to the Coyotes, where the Coyotes offloaded Kruger uh, and and two prospects or and a fifth round pick. So again, I, I mean, they thought they they moved up some picks and they and they got a young defenseman in who was playing well for Chicago and Osterley. So I think that type of return, you're not looking at something astronomical, I, I would think, and it all depends on how much cap space is on a deal like that and how valuable the player still is, right? Like, yes, this player could be making five or six million dollars. He's clearly not worth it, but it could still be an NHL player. And that, you know, kind of mitigates what you're going to get in return. You have to think when Datsuk was traded, he was still playing in the, he was playing in the KHL, I think. Like, he wasn't playing. So the return for him would be a bit higher for Arizona because they're, they're not getting a player. They're just getting a contract, right? So, it's so hard to judge these types of trades because each one could be different. You don't know who you're getting in return, what the contract is, what the player's status is, what you know, how badly that team needs to get the cap off their books to go and do something else. Like all of those, all of those things factor into what type of return you're going to get. But to, to think the Ducks are going to get any considerable assets from this, I, I can't see it being anything astronomical. But I mean, I there's think 14 anything- teams with less than a million dollars of cap space right now. Yeah, so the, there's there's a need, and there'll be a need for a lot of teams who maybe aren't the elite teams in this league and are looking to kind of join that company, and they feel adding a certain player uh, at the deadline is, is what will get them over that hump, and they need that cap space, so they're willing to give up some you know B-rated prospects or just, you know a third or fourth round draft pick to kind of move that cap space off. That's where the Ducks have a bit of leverage, but I, I just can't see. The return being too much, but again, you know, anything you can get for literally just taking on cap space is a good return. It's a smart move for a team who's who's rebuilding. Yeah, especially if the Ducks are able to move those guys onto LTIR, which they definitely can. They just haven't done that for some reason. They're all sitting in IR status. They they can't because the Ducks haven't used 100 percent of their cap space, so gotcha. they they can't even they can't even use the LTIR until it's needed. So. Gotcha. Okay. Well, let's move on here. We talked about the cap space. We talked about Jacob Silverberg. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, Eric Stevens' bold predictions? Because I always find bold, bold predictions funny. I wish we would have done them in our in our season preview because it would have been fun to go back and make fun of each other. We should have. I mean, we made some bold league predictions, I think. Uh, I mean, we, we had our bet, but there there was other things, I think, that we, we made some predictions, but I, I don't think we uh, we specifically said certain guys were going to do this or any bold predictions ducks-wise, though. Going forward, let's, let's make a note, and uh, our fans listening, remind us, please, for the summer when we do this, because these are great. We totally, at least I do, I'm sure you do too, Ed, I'm sure Jay would also, to sympathize with Eric Stevens. Yeah. We love Eric Stevens. Oh, yeah. Reading this article, I think we all thought, John Gibson would win the Vesna or be in the top three. That is definitely not happening this season. Unfortunately, he's not had the year that we all thought he was going to have. And this the playing behind this team is just very arduous for him. Clearly, he hasn't been able to pick up his numbers. But not a bad pick by Stevens. But man, it looks bad going back and checking it out again, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's not it's not overly bold. It just looks bad in hindsight now, right? Like we 
all would have said John Gibson would have a chance to win the Vezin Trophy this year because we thought the Ducks would be better. And you would you would have expected him to be at least somewhat close to what he was last year, but it's kind of been uh, been the complete opposite this year for John Gibson. Um, you know, it's despite that, you know, Eric Stevens puts it in here too that he still remains third among active goaltenders with a 9.20 uh, career save percentage. So despite the down year, he's still uh, one of the best goaltenders in the league, and we, we you know fully expect him to to rebound whether at some point in the second half of the season this year or into next year when the Ducks start, uh, you know, actually putting a, a decent team in front of him. But uh, it's a tough one. Who are the to top goaltenders to you right now in the NHL? Man, all the all the guys we said that were the elite goalies in this league have struggled this year. You know, I mean, I think Tooms we, is the only one that's that's a nine twenty or nine twenty five. Well, what's uh, what's Vasilevsky doing now? Now that uh, he's I at think, a nine fifteen uh, save percentage. Yeah, but I think Tampa's been winning. They've won ten in a row, and uh, Vasilevsky's last five games, he's only letting four goals. He's got back to back shutouts going right now, so he's he's getting back up to that territory where by the end of the season, if Tampa just starts winning games and playing well in front of him, and, and he can kind of rebound onto that, I think he's a guy who could jump himself back up into that best discussion. Like he, he very well could be. I mean, he's climbing up the rankings right now to even be at 9.15. Now I think he was at like 9.04, like two weeks ago. So he's he's climbing up there, and they're good performances by him too. It's not just the team playing well. He, he's play, playing very well too. But I think if you're looking specifically at this year, a Bishop. guy who got absolutely robbed last year in Ben Bishop, it, it would probably be at the top of that with, with me. Um, if Darcy Kemper wasn't hurt, I think he if, he if he comes back relatively soon, I think he's still in that discussion. And then I think Tristan Yari probably should deserve some credit too, with with Pittsburgh being thrown into the starter role and, and, and they're and having it as hell right now, also. Yeah, and no Sidney Crosby since October. Uh and he's leading the league in, in goals against average and save percentage. Like I think I think he gets thrown in there uh as well. So I think by seasons end, I think Hellebuck too, man. Like Hellebuck deserves some credit he's for He's a for shade Winnipeg under nine twenty. But that doesn't mean yep. that it's all his fault. That team was not not what we all thought it was going to be, right? Especially on the on the blue line, we've talked about it off and on all season. Yeah, and, and maybe you know maybe Freddie can boost those numbers a bit. You know he'll probably lead the the, the league in wins or be close to it at the end of the year. So and is Freddie think, really that good? I got to ask you that, man. Do you really think that that Frederick Anderson is that good of a goaltender? I mean, he hasn't had great numbers his whole career. He has a couple of good months in a season, yeah. but. Uh, uh, it's been tough I think for he's, Freddie. I think he's he's good, but I, I don't think he's an elite goaltender. Um, he's he's played any anywhere he's played, like literally anywhere he's played in his entire career, he's been on one of the league's best teams. He was on the Ducks when they were clearly just smoking every team in the Pacific Division or one of the best teams in the Western Conference, and he goes right over to a, a Leafs team that is ready to compete and be one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Like his career record is insane. 205 wins, 87 losses, 43 overtime losses. Like that is the I'd love to see the win percentage on that. Like it's yeah. probably around 65%. But his career numbers are a 917 save percentage and a 260 goals against average. It's right around league average, maybe a little bit better than league average when it comes to his numbers. And you know, to be fair to him, in the same sentence, he's he's kind of been playing on on two teams that have allowed a lot of shots against. He's always near the top of the league in shots against. He's third this year, just in front of John Gibson. So I think he's good, but man, he's not. I don't think he's an elite goaltender. I, I don't think he he's in that territory. I think he's outside the top five. You probably put him somewhere between you know six and fifteen, but 
I mean, I, I just don't I don't think he's in that upper upper echelon of, of goaltenders who make a huge difference to their team. How about so Connor Hellebuck, Tuka Rask, Ben Bishop are the probably the top three, but I mean, can't you kind of give some love to Simeon Berlamov? I think you can. I think you give some love to, to Jordan Bennington as well. Um I, I just think a goalie who splits as many starts as Varlamov has with uh with Grice, it, it gets hard. I mean, he's played that. one less game than Bishop. Bishop's got 29 games. Farlamov's got 28 games. That's Yeah. And the same case can be made for Bishop, too, is Bishop splitting, splitting those numbers with Kadobin. And if you're giving Bishop credit, you should probably give Anton Kadobin credit as well. Kadobin's been great this year, too, man. Five on five and nine, a 94-3 save percentage. Bishop, 93-2. Those guys have been on fire for Dallas this season, man. They've been getting saves at five on five. The the way I see it is if Darcy Kemper comes back and plays at the same level and the Arizona Coyotes make the playoffs, uh, he, he's probably my lock for for the Vesna. And that's if he comes back soon, can can finish the the season with about forty games played, uh, forty forty five games played. I, I think he's probably the lock if his save percentage stays above not point nine two five. He he's probably the guy that's going to get it, but. It's it's not as clear cut as it was last year, where you had like three guys who definitely deserved it, and everybody else was close. I think it, it's a mixed bag this year, and it's a lot because teams have decided to split their goaltending more than ever. I mean, Sh- Shane lot. asked, "Do you think Bennington's the real deal, though?" Uh, no, I don't. I, I think Ooh. he. We're we're talking about that same Spicy. category, that same category as uh, as Frederick Anderson, and you know, very good goaltender. That has his moments. Not a bad goaltender by any means, but I wouldn't put him in that elite category yet. Uh, I mean, this is a Blues team who, since Bennington has been in the crease, and that's some credit to him as well. But they've been unstoppable. Like they just win games. His his winning or his record over sixty six games. He's got forty six wins, twelve regulation losses, and five overtime losses. Yeah. So it, it's been unbelievable. And I mean, his run last year was just ridiculous with his numbers, and they've been a little bit more back down to earth this year, but. You know, testament to point here, uh, Jake Allen's numbers are also good this year. Yeah. And they've almost never been good. Notoriously so, bad his whole career. Yeah. So so there is something there with the team he's playing on and how they play in front of him. So I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't put uh, Bennington in that real deal league category. Yeah, I think he's a very good goaltender. And I, I think you could argue now at this point he's probably a top 10 goaltender in this league. But it's it's tough to put him in that top five. All right, that's enough goaltender talk. Jason's not even on the show. Let's get to bold prediction number two as we have several to go. Ricard Raquel is going to have a big season. Um, he hasn't had an amazing season this year, but he hasn't had an awful season. Yeah. Uh, I, I was. This is kind of like not a bad not a bad pick for Stevens. I think we all thought he was going to hit 30 goals this year. We don't think he's going to. I mean, he's got a good chance to hit 20, but there's no way Rax is getting 30 unless he goes on some crazy scoring streak here yeah I, I think it depends on wh- how you define big year uh if big year is career year uh good good prediction to have at the beginning of the season i probably would have said the same thing but uh if you're you know right now he's having a better year than he did last year which is not too hard to do uh considering the, the quality of player we think ricard raquel is but if you think you know across a full season right now he's probably finishing with 55 54 points just over 20 goals like it's not bad. It's not a big year for Ricard Raquel when you would think he's you know had back to back thirty goal seasons, but it's still a decent year from from Raquel. So if you think you know plus fifty points over twenty goals is a big year, then I, I think you know Eric Stevens might still be on track for this. Yeah, not not a bad move there. Let's get to the next one. Uh, Bob Murray will make a notable trade. He definitely tried, but ended up getting good Branson. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and Eric Stevens, interestingly enough, says he qualifies that good Branson deal as a notable in the sense that good Branson has had a significant role since joining the Ducks. Um, I, I think, you know, there, there's some merit there, but if you're talking about notable trade, I, I'm thinking, you know, big roster name is traded. Like Brandon Montour getting traded, that was a notable trade. So in, in that same sense, like Silverberg's traded or Raquel's traded, Andre Cash is traded or Josh Manson's traded, that's a notable trade. Or you go uh, that, out and you, that's you get a That's coming at the player. deadline for sure. That's definitely yeah, happening. So there, it's deadline. still possible. I mean, Eric Stevens has until, what, February 24th yep. for this to uh, – to come to fruition and i still think it might but i i I'm, and again i'll admit i'll be the first one to admit i was wrong about eric branson he's actually been a reliable addition to the ducks uh, i was but wrong too i i don't think he it's a notable trade despite that like he's been good but he it does not mean it was notable just because he's been decent right he's been better than we thought we thought he was going to be horrible so i don't think it's notable yet so sam Steele will be the call will be in the calder conversation big swing and a miss yeah. basically what steven says here um, Steele's been the better of the kids, though. You've been someone who's gone to bat for him all year. Yeah, I, I, and again, I think this was a big, big swing just from the beginning. I, I probably wouldn't have said this when you look at the fact that we all expected Jack Hughes and Capo Caco to just come into this league and play amazing, and even Boy, they've struggled. Disappointment. Yeah, yeah, but we also knew Kale McCarr was going to come into this league. Quinn Hughes was still going to be considered a rookie for this year. Like to to think that Sam Steele would be in the Calder discussion is um, I don't think say it's a huge stretch, but it definitely is a, a fair you know bit of a stretch. And, and, and I think that comes from expecting him to play with Ricard Raquel and, and Jakob Silverberg because what we saw in preseason and when this was written, but it, but even then, like it would have been tough for him to be in that discussion with just those four guys, let alone you had guys like Victor Olofsson in, in Buffalo who, who's been on an absolute tear and other guys that could just sometimes come out of nowhere, right. in, in rookie season. So, I would have loved for him to be in there, but I definitely, I definitely wouldn't have been on board with this one at the beginning of the season. That's a tough one, but hey, those are bold predictions. That's what they're there for. Number five, yep. the Ducks will turn from possession pumpkins into Corsi gods. I mean, that's another big swing too. But I mean, we talked about it on the show uh, a few shows ago. But uh, he's not. I mean, not, I don't know if they're gods, but they've definitely improved. If you look at uh, the differences under under Eakins, right? Yeah. Yeah, so Eric Stevens outlays it. Uh, I've, well, this article was written like a week ago, right? Yeah. So I, they're around the same anyway, but their their Corsi four percentage this year is forty eight point six three. Three days ago, so we missed two games. Three days ago, yeah. yeah. So it, I think it's a slightly higher, but it's still around forty eight percent. They're twentieth. I checked today. I know they're ranked twentieth, so they're right at that bottom third of the league. Uh, and last year across the entire season, it was forty seven point six. So there's a small percentage point increase there. Which, I mean, I guess is decent, but it's not huge. So but look I, at the I scoring think, chances, how it's been different. He even listed those as well. Yeah, that, I think that's been the big difference for the Ducks. They've had more uh, more scoring chances this year. And they've allowed a lot less against. Like, that's that's the main difference, is, is they've allowed a lot less against. So, in turn, they've got some more for. So, it has gone up that way, but... To and I guess again, these are bold predictions. You can't pick them apart, but Corsi Gods was always going to be a, a big stretch. That that would have that's uh, banking on Dallas Eakins a ton at the beginning of the season to to think that he'd have that type of impact. But it, it has been better. I, I have to say, it has been a bit better this year. All right, let's look at the next one here. Uh, Troy Terry will score twenty goals and or have forty points this season. Ed, I don't think it's going to happen. And get a long and get an offered an, a long term contract. 
that's a tough this is one. a not super bold. I had people like just saying to us on the show last year, like that would be way more bold than this. People thinking that Terry could hit fifty points or twenty five goals like that. This was bold, but it wasn't extremely bold because what Troy Terry in thirty two games last year had thirteen points and, and four goals. So I love to, what Steven make... says here though, man. He goes, At this point I wonder if I was in the right frame of mind when making these original predictions. Did I buy too that I buy too much into the hype? Was I at fault for creating the hype? <laughs> I love Eric. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> and maybe maybe all of that's true. I mean, and everybody kinda got caught up in the hype and everybody fed the hype in Troy Terry, not just last year, but going into his his first full season or first, you know, big audition with the ducks and you know we're at that point this year we've played just over this amount of same amount of games he played last year and he has less points and less goals um you know maybe he comes back in he's got four points in two games on his conditioning stint with uh with san diego right now and somehow is back seven weeks ahead of schedule from uh, what was a, a broken leg oh, yeah. uh maybe maybe he comes back up and, and and can still hit it i mean to say he could get 32 points in the in the next like 40 games the ducks have left or, or you know 38 or 39 games the ducks have left is is way out to left field but to, to think you know maybe he could still finish with you know, 25, 30 points and then 10 or 15 goals. If, if he comes back and, and gets, you know, hits those expectations, I think there's still a chance he does that. But 20 and 40, I think, is, is long lost at this point. All right. We got a few left here. Special teams will see improvement number seven wrong so far. Not very good at special teams this year, are the Ducks, at all. Wrong at so all. far, but, but second half has seen improvement. Right, like they're still ranked 29th in, in penalty kill, or power play and 23rd in penalty kill. So over the entire season, no. But the the power plays look better in the last 15 games than it sure. did in the first half of the season. So it's maybe trending in that direction, but depends on what you, how you define see improvement. Right, like into the top half of the league, that's bold. True. I don't see that happening at all. I, I they got to figure it out though. I still like, and I argued. I argued about this um, with Dave last night, listener of the show, good friend of ours. Um, I was like, why is Getzloff running the point? I, I would like Getzloff to be a distributor down low, right? Be able to feed the guys who can shoot, um, make the passing plays from down low. I would think he'd be better suited down there. We've seen it sometimes. But do you think that maybe what the Ducks do too much is change up things too often when things don't go well? I feel like that might be part of the problem here. Yeah, I just don't think they they have the right setup and the right guys to get things done on the power. But there's no finisher. There really isn't, and and that's a big thing when you when you look at some of the top power plays in the league. It's almost as it's almost as if that second unit doesn't exist sometimes, and that that all those weapons and all those guys who can get it done are in that top unit. Like obviously Edmonton, it's it's McDavid and Drysaddle who just run that power play, and Boston, it's Marchand and Pasternak and Bergeron. Like that line's stupid. The, yeah, yeah. The the and the everybody has their role, right? Like, I mean, Drysaddle and McDavid can be either playmaker or finisher on that power play. Pasternak's clearly the finisher on uh, on the Boston power play. The, the Ducks don't have that guy who's the finisher. They've got a lot of passers, and they also, I don't, and to to that point too. I love Fowler and I love Lindholm, but they don't have that power play quarterback defenseman either. No, that a lot of, that a lot of teams have. Boston has Krug. And, and, you know, Oscar Clefbaum has been that for 
for Edmonton this year, and and the, the Ducks don't really have that guy, so they're, they're missing some of these pieces to to really put together a consistent power play. So when things stop working, they try other things, and and it, it just kind of becomes a mess, and that's what we've seen for most of the year. Number eight, someone on this roster scoring sixty points. That's is, is that still interesting? That, is that still in the realm of possibility? I, I mean, mean I, 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 Sof had twenty eight through the first forty one, but now he's not playing. So he would have to have a ridiculously good second half and be come back healthy sooner rather than later. Yeah, he just have to. He'd have to have a better second half than the first half. He'd have to have thirty two points. No one's had uh, sixty it, points this season on this team. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think so. I think maybe. I think it's a stretch to say somebody might hit fifty at this point, right? Like Silverberg has to have twenty two in the last few games here to hit fifty, and and then. Raquel's at 26 and, and Getz, is, Getz is at 30. So I guess Getz is the closest. And if anybody was going to do it this year, I'd say it would be Getzlaff. Because, it, it, you know, to say Getzlaff could have 30 points in the last, what, how many games have they played here? I keep just like guessing, but let's, let's actually see here. <laughs> 45 games. So that means they have 37. Seven. Yep. So Getzlaff to get 30 points in the last 37. I don't think it's impossible i don't think it's impossible to say he could do that he had not 30 impossible but very very so. tough uh yeah i i, th- I think if anybody's going to do it it's going to be gets left that, that's that's as far as i'll go with that uh, so it's not out of realm of possibility but i think he's the only the only guy right now that could do it for for the ducks number nine and number ten let's go through them quickly michael delzato will take control of the postgame music kind of funny there we don't really get to get all the insight on that and why that would be great but uh, he is holding out hope for DJ MDZ. Didn't happen so far this season. Ducks aren't winning enough, obviously. And number 10, the Ducks will make the Stanley Cup playoffs. That is not Just happening. Just clear cut. Clear cut no right now. Yeah, and and we, we, you know, we're, we're victims for this, too. This was one of the – because the way we, we uh, structured our previous Yeah, I, I got talked into putting their asses in the playoffs, too. Yeah, you guys talked yeah. me out of it. And here I am regretting listening to you fools. So. Well, like the, this is what we I think. You know, looking back to what we said, we were looking at teams in the Pacific Division, uh, like you know Edmonton. We said they have no shot at making the playoffs. They're for, they're leading, they are not leading, but they're in the, the wild card spot right now. We said Calgary was going to regress, which was true up until now, and all of a sudden, guess who's leading the Pacific Division? The Calgary Flames. Oh boy! Uh, we yeah. said Arizona would be a good team this year, but they'd be kind of in that borderline. They're second in the in the Pacific, and then obviously San Jose completely falling off the face of the earth was, I guess, something we we did not expect, and and then um, as well with Vegas just slow, slowly turning things on as well. Like it's it's been a topsy turvy Pacific Division this year, so we we've been kind of wrong on almost all fronts in the in the Pacific Division this year. I'd love to see how we did on other ones, but uh, you know I, it's been uh, all over the place. It's been very interesting. So. That's it for that. Uh, unfortunately, with the timing of the show, we didn't put out a tweet for questions. If anyone who's in our chat right now wants to sling some questions our way over the next five or six minutes or so, we'll be glad to uh, talk about them here. But until we see those, Ed, uh, I want to uh, put some feelers out there, everybody. If you guys are interested, I talked about it a little bit last show. I think maybe it was after the show. I don't know. These days blend together for me. But watch party. Um, Jason and I are looking at setting up another watch party. Ed's not invited because he can't make it. So we don't even want him to be able to, you know, politely decline. We're just not going to invite him. But we're looking at February 1st, Ducks-Kings. It's a Kings home game, so none of you season ticket holders um, are required to go to that one. You are required to come to the watch party and hang out with us. The venue's to be decided. Um, as, as much as we love Lamppost, 
Um, we had another offer from another pizza place, so we're looking into that as well. So, but we're looking at February 1st, Ducks Kings. Keep an eye out for that. Um, here we go. We got a couple of questions here. Did you guys already talk about Cassian and Kachuk? That will be talked about, my friend, on our Patreon show next week. So stay tuned for that, Shane. Uh, Brett says, is Scott a separate thing? Yes, it is. Yeah, we we figured just, I mean, based off our last interview with Scott Wheeler as well, and in most of our interviews, it's probably going to be a half an hour to 40 minutes, if not longer. So with a regular show plus that today... Uh, plus the whole setup of having an interview and it's just so much easier to record that offline in case things go wrong or we have any issues with that so so that's going to be a whole separate thing that that will be released likely monday um but maybe maybe a little bit after that we'll see how things go uh, but it, it won't be too long after you know we're recording that tonight at uh nine nine eastern six pacific we're recording that with scott so uh, it'll be up at least uh, if not monday a few days after that Yep, no, absolutely. So that'll be fun to get to. Um, you got any other notes, Ed? Anything else? We no, talk I about? think that's it. Uh, other than we will be back, should be back with this show Wednesday. Cause I think the only game between now and Wednesday is uh, the Ducks take on St. Louis on Monday. Uh, so it'll be uh, it'll be an interesting show. Hopefully something happens because it's only one game to talk about. So hopefully we we have some news that we can cover. But uh, we we should be back live Wednesday, and then it looks like the Ducks. Don't play on the weekend, so it should be a Wednesday Sunday schedule uh, for the regular show this week. Sprinkle in hopefully some some uh, Patreon shows in there as well. Oh yeah, and after this week we have the whole. I think it's like ten days without any games. The Ducks have their yeah. little trip from the 18th to the 26th with literally nothing on the schedule as they get their week off. Um, I think that's also the All Star Game week, correct? Yeah, so we'll figure out what we're gonna do for that that uh, week. Maybe we uh, we try and book some. Uh, some interviews that we can put out and, and do some stuff for that week. But uh, we'll, we'll keep you guys posted what's going to go on for that week from the 17th to the 27th. Oh, also, um, don't want to reveal too much on it. It's not a drastic change, but we we are looking at changing platforms from Spreaker to another host. Uh, we're in talks with them about that. So um, we may not be doing Spreaker anymore, but it's going to be helpful to our show to be on another platform. So we'll, we'll keep yeah. you guys updated on any changes on that front. One more question. Doesn't change anything uh, for you guys listening. Um, you know, Spreaker, the original, the, the reason we went on Spreaker in the first place is because for all you guys who've been with us since the beginning, you remember that the show before was just uh, audio live on Spreaker. That's the reason we went with them because they're one of the only platforms who provides that to be able to go live after post games. Now that the show's live portion primarily lives on Twitch, there, there's no need for us to be paying, you know, $200 a month or $200 a year, sorry, to, to kind of keep that up there so it won't change anything for you if you get the show on itunes you get the show through google podcast spotify whatever that's all still going to be there in the same place yep. just uh just us uh, aligning with uh, a network and with a platform that that kind of helps us out a bit and and kind of mitigates the, the cost for us moving forward so that's what that's, that's some of the basic news here coming up from us um that's it man so like eddie said stay tuned for the scott wheeler interview we're doing that tonight um, we're looking at another Patreon show this week. For those of you who subscribe to our Patreon, that's patreon.com slash puckguysforevermighty. Check it out there if you haven't already. That's a good way to, for you to support the show. Um, also on Twitch, uh, shout out to Brett, three months in a row. He has subscribed uh, with his Twitch Prime account, which means Amazon, uh, he's, he signed up with Prime for them, gives him a free Twitch subscription every month. 
that he can go out and select somebody and give. Basically, it's five bucks, four ninety nine. But uh, Amazon covers that cost. He's, he's, they're allowing him to support and you to support if you have Twitch Prime, so or Amazon Prime. So if you have that, you want to support the show. It doesn't cost you anything, but it helps the show out. It's a great way to do that. Um, and uh, I think that's it. We'll talk to you guys here on Wednesday. Like I said, stay on uh, on your toes on Twitter for us. We're going to be putting out some new information, and especially about that watch party. So we'll talk to you guys soon. All right, see you guys.